Good morning, faithful listener. You are listening to the Bible Explained podcast, where the Bible gets explained. So grab your cup of coffee and stay tuned as we read through the book of Deuteronomy. Hey, and happy Monday, faithful listener. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Bible Explained podcast. And today we are in Deuteronomy chapter 3, verses 1 through 22. So let's go ahead and read this. I'll be reading out the WEB version this morning, as I always do. But feel free to grab the version that you prefer to read out of. But before I begin, I want to say thank you to (laughs) one of the listeners of the podcast. I think I mentioned recently that she's a lady that goes to my church and she's so sweet. And she gave me some tea. She gave me something called jasmine green tea. I think it's jasmine. And uh, I have to say, I drank it, I tasted it, and it's not bad, it's not bad, but it kind of tastes like, um, if I'm being 100% honest in this evaluation of it, it kind of tastes like watery grass coffee. (laughs) Watery grass coffee, but it's not bad. I actually, I I don't mind it, I can drink it, I still prefer for sure my uh, morning cup of coffee, but it's kind of nice. Like I I realize that I do sort of enjoy switching over to tea at some point in time in the evening because coffee does keep me up at night. So it is nice to have something a little bit lighter on the caffeine, I suppose. And I guess this is a good substitute. So thank you so much to Tammy for uh, giving me some tea to try. It was so cute. She just handed it to me and she's just like, you have to try it. Just try it. You might like it. And I'm like, (laughs) I'll be honest in my evaluation. So thank you so much for giving me that tea. But okay, everybody else who's listening, go ahead and grab your cup of tea or your cup of coffee, the preferred beverage. And let's go ahead and grab our Bibles also. Whatever version you prefer, I'll be reading out of the W.E.B. this morning. Then we turned and went up the way to Bashan. Og, the king of Bashan, came out against us, he and all of his people, to battle at Edre. Yahweh said to me, Don't fear him, for I have delivered him with all of his people and his land into your hand. You shall do to him as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who lived at Heshbon. So Yahweh our God also delivered into our hand Og, the king of Bashan, and all of his people. We struck him until no one was left remaining. We took all the cities at that time. There was not a city which we didn't take from them. Sixty cities, all the regions of Argob, the kingdom of Og in Bashan. All these cities were fortified with high walls, gates, and bars, in addition to a great many villages without walls. We utterly destroyed them as we did to Sihon, king of Heshbon, utterly destroying every inhabited city with the women and the little ones. But all the livestock and the plunder of the cities we took for plunder for ourselves. We took the land at that time out of the hand of two of the kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan, from the valley of the Arnon to Mount Hermon. The Sidonians call Hermon Syrian, and the Amorites call it Senir. We took all the cities of the plain and all of Gilead and all of Bashan to Selica and to Edre, cities of the kingdom of Og and Bashan. For only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of the Rephium. Behold, his bedstead was a bedstead of iron. Isn't it in Rabbah of the children of the Ammon? Nine cubits was its length and four cubits its width after the cubit of a man. This land we took in possession at that time from Arar, which is by the valley of Arnon, and half of the hill country of Gilead with its cities, I gave to the Reubenites and to the Gadites. And the rest of Gilead and all Bashan, the kingdom of Og, I gave to the half-tribe of Manasseh, all the region of Argob, even Bashan. 
The same is called the land of the Rephium. Jair, the son of Manasseh, took all the region of Argob to the border of the Geshrites and the Machathites and called them even Bashan after his own name, Haveth Jair to this day. I gave Gilead to Machir, to the Reubenites and to the Gadites. I gave from Gilead even to the valley of Arnon, the middle of the valley and its border, even to the river Jabbok which is by the river of the children of Ammon. The Arabah also and the Jordan and its border from Chinnereth even to the Sea of the Arabeth, the Salt Sea under the slopes of Pisgah eastward. I commanded you at that time saying, Yahweh your God has given you this land to possess it. All of you men of valor shall pass over armed before your brothers, the children of Israel. But your wives and your little ones and your livestock, I know that you have much livestock, shall live in your cities which I have given you until Yahweh gives rest to your brothers as to you, and they also possess the land which Yahweh your God gives them beyond the Jordan. Then you shall each return to his own possession which I have given you. I commanded Joshua at that time, saying, Your eyes have seen all that Yahweh your God has done to these two kings. So shall Yahweh do to all the kingdoms where you go over. You shall not fear them, for Yahweh your God himself fights for you. All right, so Moses is continuing to uh, reiterate some of the history that had just gone down, maybe a year or two prior to this. But once again, he is relaying the history, writing it down, and also speaking it so that the children of Israel have it for future generations, because it's important to remember our history, right? It's always going to be important to remember the things that we did wrong in the past so that we don't repeat them for the future. And that's kind of the point. It kind of sounds like so far in Deuteronomy, not just to relay the law, but also to remind the Israelites not to go wrong again. Because especially in the last little bit here, where we see that Moses actually commands Joshua not to be afraid. <laughs> it says in verse 22, the thing we just read, you shall not fear them for Yahweh your God fights for you, basically. That's actually one of the verses that people claim is a stolen verse. In other words, we use that verse for ourselves when it's not a promise for us. But I'll get to that in a moment. But let's talk about verse one here. Verse actually one through 17. So there's this long like battle that goes on, right? And it kind of describes in more detail what had happened. We briefly covered all of this in numbers, very briefly. Basically, numbers just said the Israelites went out to battle King Og. That was kind of all it said. And they were successful and they took his land. But this goes into great detail kind of what happened. Og came out, King Og came out to fight the people. He didn't like the people. He was like, I don't like the Israelites. I'm going to go out and fight them. And he was a big dude. <laughs> like He was a tall guy. It says he was one of the Rephium. So he was a giant. It says that his bed stand, is that what it's called? Bedstead. I don't know if that means like a bed or if it means a coffin. I don't know. His bedstead was nine cubits in length. That means, let's see what my footnote says. It was about 14 feet by six feet. That's how big this Og guy was. He was a giant. I don't know anybody that's 14 feet tall. I think the tallest kid I ever knew was like seven foot tall. And I didn't even really know him. He went to a rival high school. I only remember seeing him around because he was so ridiculously tall. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think I ever said more than maybe a hello to him. But uh, yeah, he was tall for sure. I remember that. But I mean, seven foot. I mean, this guy is twice the length of seven, like seven foot tall. That's ridiculously tall to our standards nowadays. 
but 14 feet tall and not just tall, but also a wide guy. He was six feet wide is what it says. So he was tall and wide. So he was, (laughs) he was as wide as my husband is tall. That's crazy to think about. But yeah, I mean, this guy was big. And so this just proves more of Moses's point. I mean, he's really driven home the fact that the first generation of Israelites were terrified of giants. And now all of a sudden Israel is like destroying this giant guy, this guy named Og. And what's cool about this is the fact that numbers didn't mention that Og. I don't think I don't think they mentioned that he was a giant back in numbers. But now Moses is relaying that information because that is important information moving forward because it shows how ridiculous the first generation was in their fear of the Rephium, especially if their children are going out and defeating giants. But not only that, this helps the Israelites, the new generation of Israelites, remember that they can, in fact, defeat giants and that they don't need to fear whatever is across the Jordan River in the promised land. They don't have to fear those big giants because they already defeated a guy and that giant's entire army. I mean, kings back in these days, I would guess they are kings because they are the quickest and the strongest. Probably in most cases in these ancient days, I would guess that that's what kings were. But yet Israel was able to destroy that king and destroy that king's armies also. So this is important information that Moses is giving us that numbers didn't really touch on too much. But after this, Moses talks about how the Reubenites and the Gadites, the children of Gad, wanted that land as their possession because they had a ton of sheep is what it says. And even that's repeated here. Moses is like, I know you guys have a ton of livestock. So the Reubenites and the Gadites, the tribe of Gad and the tribe of Reuben, went to Moses, and we already talked about all this back in Numbers. They went to Moses and asked for their piece of land to be outside of the promised land. They really liked the land that they had just taken from King Og, the giant, and also that other king, King, uh, what was his name? Sihon. The two Israeli tribes really liked the land, and they were content and happy to stay outside of the promised land. And I'm still on the fence as to whether or not that was a good thing or a bad thing. If these two tribes didn't go into the promised land that God had promised them and they stayed outside of the promised land, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm kind of leaning towards it's a bad thing because God was very clear that he did want his people to go into the promised land. However, God is very merciful and he did allow these two tribes to take their land, their possession early and be outside of the promised land. But either way, whether it was a good thing or a bad thing, the Reubenites and the Gadites, the two tribes of Israel, got their land outside of the promised land and they got their inheritance early in a sense. They were able to go there and live there with their wives and their children and all of their livestock. However, the deal was, and Moses reiterates it here in verse 18, the deal was that they still needed to go into the promised land to help their brothers fight 
against the Canaanites that lived beyond the Jordan. So that was the deal. They could have their land. They could have it outside of the promised land. But Moses made it very clear what the stipulation was. It was just that they had to go in and fight alongside their brothers. Because otherwise, if they didn't, and they just stayed in their little piece of land that God had given them early, it would have been a bad thing. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) They would have gotten the easy way out, right? And there was no easy way out. So uh, that's why there was a stipulation put in place so that they didn't uh, lazily stand by and watch (laughs) watch the other tribes go in and fight for them, basically. So that was kind of the point here. But now I really want to focus in on verse 21 and 22 because it says, I commanded Joshua at that time saying, your eyes have seen all that Yahweh, your God, has done to these two kings. So shall Yahweh do to all the kingdoms where you go over. You shall not fear them, for Yahweh, your God, himself fights for you. So this is a command to Joshua that he does not fear. Basically what Moses is saying to Joshua here, he's like, I command you not to fear. Oh, I find that really funny. But he gives a really good reason as to why. He's like, Joshua, at this point in time, you have you've been with me these entire 40 years. You've been with me from the beginning and you've seen everything God has done. So if you begin to fear at this point in time as a leader, you're going to be sinning because you know the power of God and you need to express that courage. You need to show that courage to the Israelite nation. Since Joshua was going to be taking over as leader, he needed to have a deep and strong faith himself that God could, in fact, bring the Israelites over into the promised land. Because imagine what would happen if Moses died and all of a sudden Joshua is like afraid. Probably everything would have happened all over again because the Israelites would have been afraid having a fearful leader. So Moses is making it very clear to Joshua that he needs to be a strong and very courageous leader for the children of Israel. And what I said at the beginning of all this is that we often take this verse as a uh, <laughs> as a stolen promise, right? This is one of the verses that we use. You shall not fear because Yahweh your God fights for you. And there's a similar verse that we often use also in Exodus that we've talked about before, where it says, just be still because Yahweh your God fights for you. You know, we often like to paste these kind of verses like on items or on t-shirts or on our fridge or something like that and remember them for ourselves. I don't know. I, I don't have necessarily a problem with doing that because it is in the Bible. The Bible is ours. It's God's word to us. So I don't think it's wrong to take these verses and to pray them for ourselves or to ask God to help us also the same way that he helped his children in past times because we're all his children. So I don't think it's wrong to look at these verses and to keep them as promises for ourselves personally. I do think it can get um, into some like gray areas when you start like identifying (laughs) as like Joshua or something like that. I, I don't necessarily think that is good because, yeah, that can get kind of kind of weird. But I think for the most part, it's not bad for us to look at these verses and pray them for ourselves and for our own situations. I don't believe they're stolen promises. I believe God has given us the entire Bible to read and to study and to apply to our own lives. So certainly this history was not just for the Israelite nation, 
for the ancient Israelite nation. It's for us too. So we still have the book of Deuteronomy. We still read it. We can still take bits and pieces of the history and apply it to our own lives. So what is Moses trying to teach us? Future generations of people. What can we learn from this? Because it's here for us. We have this history. And I think what we can learn is that just like Joshua, we can remember God's promises. We can remember what God has done in our own lives and remember how good he's been and how he's helped us through terrible times in the past when something awful comes our way. And I don't think it's a bad thing to do that. In fact, I think that's a great way to apply Old Testament scripture to your life nowadays and not make the same mistakes that generations before have made. Because having courage is very much commended in scripture and not having fear and just remembering how much God cares for us and how much he loves us and living in fear. Though I talked about fear a few uh a few episodes ago, and I said that I don't necessarily think that fear is always a sin. I do think that if we continue to choose it and to live in it, we do make it an idol. And when we make it an idol, obviously we are putting God second below our fear. And that is when fear becomes a sin. So it is good to have courage. It is good to look at Deuteronomy and apply it to our own lives and take verses like this that says, don't fear for Yahweh your God fights for you. I mean, what about that as a stolen promise? Because all through scripture, all through the New Testament, we have very similar promises specifically made to us where Jesus says, do not worry because God is for you. Your father loves you. He counts the hairs on your head. So no, I do not believe that verses in the Old Testament are stolen promises. And I think it's even dangerous sometimes to get into the route of getting angry at somebody for taking a verse out of Old Testament scripture and applying it to their own lives. Because isn't that what we're supposed to do with the Bible? Aren't we supposed to take these scriptures and apply them to our own lives? So my point is, in a nutshell, even though I uh, <laughs> really talked about that for a long time, in a nutshell, I don't think it's wrong to take scriptures like this and to apply them to our own lives and to put them on our uh, mirror so that we remember them because we are supposed to be applying scripture to our lives and we should encourage others to do the same. Well, faithful listeners, thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I hope you liked it. And if you did, share it on your social media platforms and tell people that the Bible Explained podcast exists because word of mouth is the best way to get this podcast to continue to grow and the, the word will get spread even more. So I encourage you to do that if you liked the podcast episode and also check out the bio and check out all those links that I have listed below and subscribe to each thing. <laughs> and I'm going to let you guys go. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day. Happy listening and God bless.